Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm so glad that you're watching today's message. I believe it'll be a blessing to you. I believe it'll encourage you, it'll strengthen you, and empower you to make Jesus famous in your everyday life. Enjoy today's message, and I'll see you at the end of the broadcast. So you guys already know I like my props and costumes when I do different messages. And so I got this shirt, and my six-year-old's like, is Daddy getting ready for Christmas? She's like, it's like a giant candy cane. And so I'm going to tell you why I have this giant red and white striped shirt in a moment. Second Chronicles chapter 16. First one. And you can find my notes in the YouVersion Bible app. Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 1. And the 36th year of the reign of Asa, Basha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and built Ramah, that he might let none go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. So what's happening? At this time, remember, according to Bible history, the kingdom has split. There's the southern kingdom of Judah and the northern kingdom of Israel. And so he's building up this city to make sure nobody can go into Judah and no one can go out of Judah. So what happens when you surround a country? Eventually, it's going to be an economic ruin. And so here's what's going on. This is what's come up against them. But notice what Asa did. Then Asa brought silver and gold from the treasuries of the house of the Lord and of the king's house and sent to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who dwelt in Damascus, saying, Let there be a treaty between you and me as there was between my father and your father. See, I have sent you silver and gold. Come break your treaty with Basha, king of Israel, so that he will withdraw from me. So Ben-Hadad heeded king Asa and sent captains of his armies against the cities of Israel. They attacked Ejon, Dan, and Abelmim, and all the stored cities of Naphtali. Now it happened when Basha heard it, he stopped building Ramah and ceased his work. Then King Asa took all Judah, and they carried away the stones and timber of Ramah, which Basha had used for building. He built Geba and Mitzpah. Now it seems like it worked. It seems like, okay, there's an attack coming. What's a good strategy? Let me pay somebody else who has an army. Let them go and attack in another area so that the person oppressing me leaves me alone. It seems like it worked, right? Because not only did it seem like they stopped attacking, they took all the extra stuff that the king of Israel brought, and they began to build their own cities. If we stop right there, we say, okay, cool, that was a strategy, and it worked. But let's keep reading. And at that time, Hananiah, the seer. Now, well, what is a seer? Well, it is the office of the prophet. All seers are prophets, but not all prophets are seers. And so this is a seer or prophet operating on the Old Testament ministry of one. And so the seer, the prophet, the man of God, comes to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, because you have relied on the king of Syria and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Syria has escaped from your hand. Where the Ethiopians and Luma, not a huge army, which very many chariots and horsemen, these were previous battles that Asa came up against. Yet because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. So he says, remember when you had this huge battle at the beginning of you being king and it looked like there's no way you could win, but you turned to God, you relied on him, and he gave you the victory. Yet, because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. And this you have done foolishly. Therefore, from now on, you shall have wars. You see, in the latter years of King Asa, he stopped seeking the Lord. He still served him, 
but he did not inquire of him and rely on him as he did in the early years of his reign. This account in 2 Chronicles 16 shows how he did what he thought was best and did not inquire or rely on God. As we said, it seemingly worked out until the man of God showed up. And what, let's summarize what the man of God told him. He says, you've missed out on what God had for you. You missed out on victory. Now, what happens, one day the king of Syria can break his treaty with you and turn on you. God have victory for you, not just in Israel, but also in Syria, but you've missed out on victory. But on top of that, what else did he miss out on? Remember, King Asa emptied the treasuries of the house of the Lord and the king's house and paid off the Syrian army. So not only did you miss out on victory, you spent a lot of money you didn't have to spend. Anybody been there before when you spent a whole bunch of money you never should have spent? Because you did what you thought was best, but it's not what God told you to do? So this man, as a king, spent tons of money and missed out on victory. And the man of God said, you have done foolishly. Not only are you out of that money, not only did you miss out on victory, from now on, you will be at war. All because he did not rely on God like he did in his early days. And notice what the man of God says here. She says, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. So if the eyes of God are scanning the whole world, we could say it that way, he's looking for something. Say, he's looking for something. Because if he finds that something, he wants to show himself strong on their behalf. Because a lot of times, we get excited when God shows up. But sometimes we miss out on the strength of what was available to us because we don't make the qualifications of hearts that are loyal to him. Sometimes we have manifestations of God and it's just mercy. Sometimes stuff shows up in your life not because you pray, but because someone else knew God and prayed for you. And so you have kiddie pool experiences, and you're happy. Georgia summer day, you put your feet in the kiddie pool, you cooled off a little bit. But God has a swimming pool, an Olympic-sized swimming pool. He has an ocean. But you're satisfied in the kiddie pool when God has more. Say, God has more. Those who receive the more are those who line up to how he defines those whose hearts are loyal to him. And remember, he's talking to King Asa according to biblical history. He is a majority good king. But he stopped seeking the Lord. He started doing what he thought was best. And this is what happens once you have some success. Once you've had some victories, you think, well, I know what to do now. I don't have to inquire of the Lord. Big mistake. Because you remember who gave you victory in the past. Who provided for you in the past. Who taught you in the past. If he's the one who taught you, you don't leave the teacher. You stay with him. You always inquire of the Lord. Well, what does inquire mean? Ask him what to do. This word for loyal, because, you know, we have a, you know, our modern definition of loyal, but this word for loyal in the Hebrew means something slightly different. It means in covenant peace, in friendship, keeping covenant relations with. This word loyal means to be in covenant peace or to be in friendship 
or those who are keeping covenant relationship with him. So God is scanning the whole earth for those people. Because once he finds those people with these qualifications, he wants to show himself strong on their behalf. So he's looking for something. Say, he's looking for something. See, Job 34, verse 21 says it this way, for his eyes are on the ways of man, and he sees all his steps. Proverbs 5, 21 says, for the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. Proverbs 15, 3 says, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. Jeremiah 32, 19 says, talking about God, you are great in counsel and mighty in work, for your eyes are open to all the ways of the sons of men, to give everyone according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. 1 Peter 3, 12 says, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Hebrews 4, 13, the Amplified Classic Edition says, and not a creature exists that is concealed from his sight. But all things are open and exposed, naked and defenseless to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Go, to me, go with me to Zechariah chapter 4 say he's looking for something. How many of you want God to show up strongly on your behalf? Then you need to have what he's looking for. Because we see King Asa, he's part of the people of God, right? He had a covenant with God. He's the seed of Abraham. But he did not have the manifestation that God had for him. Not because God didn't love him. Not because he didn't have a covenant. But he didn't have what God was looking for. Do you have what he's looking for? Let's look at Zechariah chapter 4. And the prophet Zechariah is having a vision. And so in verse 1, it says, Now the angel who talked with me came back and woke me up. And as a, man who's, as a man who's waking out of his sleep, and he said to me, what do you see? So I said, I'm looking, and there's a lampstand of solid gold with a bowl on top of it. And on the stand, there are seven lamps with seven pipes or wicks to the seven lamps. Two olive trees are by it, one at the right of the bowl and the other at its left. So he's seeing this vision. He sees something in the spirit. And verse 4 says, so I answered and spoke to the angel who talked with me, saying, what are these, my Lord? Then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, do you not know what these are? And he said, no, my Lord. So he answered and said to me, and a lot of us know the scripture, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. A lot of us love that scripture. Man, it's going to come to pass not by might, not by power, by the spirit of God. But notice the conditions this word is given. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain. And he shall bring forth the capstone or the cornerstone with shouts of grace, grace to it, or favor, favor to it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands shall also finish it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For who has despised the day of small things? For these seven rejoice to see the plumb line or the plumbing blade in the hand of Zerubbabel. They are the eyes of the Lord, which scan to and fro throughout the whole earth. Now, Zerubbabel, to give you the context, had a seemingly impossible task before him. He was charged with leading the people and rebuilding the temple of God that had been previously destroyed. Now, rebuilding anything after the time of destruction is hard, but the people are coming out of captivity from Babylon. 
So he has an impossible task, and he has a lot of opposition against him. When you read Ezra and Nehemiah, you see the opposition that came against them and what the things that they were going through. And so it seems like it's not going to happen. But the word of God said that it's not going to be by might nor by powers, but be my, by my spirit. And Zerubbabel, you've started it, and you're going to finish it. Because think of different reasons why it could discourage him. Because there were enemy kingdoms spreading lies trying to stop him. And this project is huge. Israel's not the same size as it used to be. They didn't have the same economic power as they did in the days of King Solomon. How in the world could they build this temple? Zerubbabel might have thought, I can start it, but will I really live long enough to finish it? And God spoke to the prophet and tells Zerubbabel, he started it, he will finish it. Because where he is on the process, it's just like putting the plumbing on a property. Now, no one is really happy when the plumbing is late. People like the building when it's done and all the other stuff. No one really, unless you're the builder or the one paying for it, you only get excited about the plumbing. Because you remember how much that plumbing cost. Right? Everybody else driving by, it's like, oh, look, there's pipes in the ground. They don't care. When they drive by, it's like, oh, look at that beautiful house. Oh, look at that beautiful building. They care about that. But most people don't rejoice over the plumbing that's laid. But the scripture said that God rejoices when the plumbing goes in the ground. Because he said those seven lambs represent the eyes of God. That he was looking throughout the whole earth and he stopped on Zerubbabel. So Zerubbabel must have had what God was looking for. Because he told him, it's not going to be by might. It's not going to be by military power, but it's going to be by my spirit. That mountain that's in front of you is becoming a plain. What you started, you will finish. So Zerubbabel, under an old covenant, could receive a promise like that because he had what God was looking for. Then how many of you know you want to become what God is looking for? Anybody want to become what God is looking for? If he's looking for something, I want to become what he's looking for. See, it reminded me of a book I had when I was a kid. Where's Waldo? Anybody remember the Where's Waldo books? Now, in those books, there was this dude who had this big shirt like this. And in the midst of the book, there's so many small things, big things that grabbed your attention, funny things, humorous things. But you were looking for the dude named Waldo who had a shirt just like this. Because if you could find the shirt and you could find him, you've completed your mission. Your eyes were scanning the book, going to and fro, every single page. Where is Waldo? And when you think about this, it's kind of a bright shirt. It's hard to miss. How many think this is kind of a hard shirt to miss? But if you're distracted, you're not going to see it, right? This is a hard shirt to miss. And the thing is, you don't have to put on this shirt for God to see you. Because we want him not just to see us, but show up strong on our behalf. We know he sees us, but we want him, to, when he sees us, we want to have what he's looking for so that the strength of his power, the strength of his glory, the strength of his commerce, the strength of his wisdom shows up on our behalf. So I want to show you how to put on your red and white shirt today. What is God looking for? Go with me to Luke chapter 18. 
Luke chapter 18, I'm gonna keep this story right with me as I preach. Luke 18, what is God looking for? Because we need to become what he is looking for. Luke chapter 18, verse 1. Now, this is a parable of Jesus. Verse 1, Luke chapter 18, verse 1. Then he spoke a parable to them that men ought always to pray and not lose heart. So what is the purpose of the parable? That we should always pray and not lose heart. Or in other words, we should always pray and not give up on praying, right? He says, there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now, there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward, he said within himself, though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow is getting on my nerves, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she wears me out. Then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge says. Now, notice it's an unjust judge. God is a just judge. So Jesus, the master storyteller, is presenting how an unjust judge moved because he, this woman was getting on his nerves. He didn't fear God, didn't fear man, and he's unjust. But this unjust judge was going to do the right thing because this woman was persistent. Notice how, what Jesus goes on and says. Hear what the unjust judge said, and shall not God, the just judge, not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them. I tell you that he will avenge them or give them justice speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, when Jesus comes back, will he really find faith on the earth? Amplified Classic Edition says, I tell you that he will defend and avenge them quickly. The Amplified Version goes on and says, however, when the Son of Man comes, will he find this kind of persistent faith on the earth. Not just faith, but persistent faith. Faith that doesn't give up. That you may run into a delay, but you don't quit because there was a delay. Faith that motivates you to keep on praying, like Jesus said in this parable. That you don't give up on praying because it didn't show up on Sunday. You don't give up on praying because it didn't show up on Monday. You stay before God, and you keep praying until it shows up. It says when Jesus is coming back, he's looking for this type of faith. So we're going to look at three things he's looking for today. Number one is persistent faith. Say persistent faith. Jesus is always looking for faith. We see in the gospel, he comments on people's faith. Man, you had great faith. You had little faith. You had no faith at all. In Luke chapter 8, he asked them, where is your faith? Like, where to go? Come on. If you were, you know, parents, you're asking, hey, where's your sibling? Where did they go? What room are they in? Jesus is asking the disciple, where did your faith go? You had it. I remember. Where did it go? If Jesus was looking at you today, would he say, where did your faith go? And what answer would be sufficient to him? Well, you see, you see what had happened was, uh, Jesus, you saw the news reports. You saw what my neighbor said. You, you heard, you know, your sugar mama called, big mama called, Paco called, they all called, and you know what? What answer would be sufficient to that question? Where did your faith go? 
Faith can only exist where the will of God is known. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith grows when you use what you've been given. Where did your faith go? Because everybody on this planet will have a challenge to their faith. There's nobody who lives who does not run into faith challenges. Because you might think about the people you think, oh, they got a lot of faith. Oh, man, they got big faith. But I'm telling you, they ran into some, some big things. And they know how to lift those big things with their faith. So where does your faith go? Because if you're not continually building your faith and receiving more faith, eventually you'll get to the place that Jesus in the Gospels, how is it that you have no faith? Isn't that what Jesus told to the disciples during the storm? Now, he expected them to have faith. Well, why do you expect them to have faith? Jesus spent all day teaching and preaching to them. He preached that Mark 4 parable. He spent all day preaching and teaching them. And so the Bible says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. They should have some faith. Before night was over, he goes, where did your faith go? How do you have no faith? So number one, he's looking for is faith, persistent faith. I heard a man of God say it this way, there's something about faith that will cause God to go over an entire crowd of people and find you. That's what faith in God will do. But it can't just be general belief. Because a lot of people say they have faith, and they really don't have faith. They have make-believe, or foolishness, or presumption. And they can make the confessions and the affirmations all day long. But if you're not speaking according to the Word of God and His will for your life, you'll miss it. And you'll think you'll be in faith, and you actually won't be. What is God telling you to do? One of the things we see in the Word of God are the general concepts of the Word of God that work for everybody. But as you spend time with God, he'll give you specific applications that flow from those concepts. And if you try to copy someone else's applications, it won't work for you. So many people have tried to copy someone else's application, and they go, oh, well, it didn't work, so I guess this faith stuff doesn't work. No. You need to get before God. You need to pray in the Holy Ghost. You need to spend some time in your prayer closet and hear what is the application for you. You've got the concept, but how do you apply it specifically in your life? He's looking for that type of faith. Hebrews says this, let's not be lazy or sluggish, but let us follow after those who inherit the promises through faith and patience. The Christian cuss word. Because that word patience is cheerful endurance. Some say, well, I'll be in faith, but I won't be happy about it. <laughs> and they look at you, what's going on? Oh, I'm believing God for something. <laughs> faith and patience. I remember when I was working with Bishop in Texas, that was the scripture he'd said to me most. Not just when we were at work, just at random times. We went to have lunch together. Remember, faith and patience inherits a promise. Good things are coming down the path. Faith and patience inherits the promise. He said that to me and later Raquel again and again and again and again and again. That lets us know that sometimes the thing you believe for, it takes some time to get there. So that means you can't quit when it takes a long time. You have to stay in faith. You have to have persistent faith. 
Here's another way to know if you're still in faith. Are you still talking about it? See, some people start to stop talking about the miracle because they get embarrassed. Oh, it hasn't happened yet, so I, I, I can't talk about it anymore. No, you keep talking about it. What do you believe in God for? What has God promised you? What has he spoken to your heart? Then you keep talking about it. Now, you don't need to tell everybody about it. Remember, the scripture does say, don't cast your pearls before swine. You don't need to tell everybody, but those words still need to come out of your mouth. Whether it's just you and your private prayer time or around other believers, you need to keep saying what you're believing God for. Because if your faith won't move your mouth, it won't move your mountain. If your faith won't move your mouth, it will not move your mountain. God is looking for faith. Faith, Christian center. He's coming back looking for people with faith. And so as part of my charge to make sure there's some people who got some faith, who know how to use their faith and grow in their faith. You have to do this on an everyday basis, not just on Sundays. You have to build your faith on an everyday basis because Jesus is looking for faith. Go with me to Isaiah 59. We're talking about things. Remember the covenant, promise, the trust. Because Asa didn't put his trust in God, did he? No, he went straight to the king of Syria. It's not like he was praying about it. It's not like he was reading about it. He just went straight to Syria. We see even an incident at the end of his life he didn't even consider God when he felt sick. He didn't ask God nothing. He just did what he thought was best. How many times is this what we do? That's our straight go-to. We do what we think is best. We call everybody else but Jesus. We turn to everything else, everybody else, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, the news, Fox News, CNN, CNBC, wherever you turn. You call all your friends. You post on social media to get someone to respond. And then at the end of the day, they say, well, maybe I should pray about it. And you start to pray, but you've been up all day, and you fall asleep. That's why we put him first. Isaiah 59, verse 16. Notice what God tells the prophet here, describing the situation he saw. It said, he saw that there was no man. And wonder that there was no intercessor. Say intercessor. Therefore, his own arm brought salvation for him, and his own righteousness as it sustained him. Go to Ezekiel 22, verse 30, and then we'll break this down. Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30, God was looking for an intercessor. And he wondered, how is there no intercessor in this whole area, this whole country? How is there not one? Ezekiel 22, verse 30. Let's look at this here, Ezekiel 22, verse 30. It says, so I sought for a man among them who made, would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. He was looking for an intercessor. Someone to stand in the gap. And we know the next verse said judgment came. So God is looking for faith, but he's also looking for intercessors. And how does he define intercessors? Somebody who stands in the gap between the holiness of God 
and the depravity of man. What happens when you intercede? You get in between righteous judgment and the people who deserve judgment. Because I know we don't like to believe that everything has consequences, but the scripture says the wages of sin is death. And that is in the New Testament. Not in the Old Covenant, that's in the New Covenant. Sin still produces death. You look at it another way, seed, time, and harvest. If you sow sin, you'll reap a harvest of death. And it's not always physical death, just keeling over and dying, but there could be death in your relationships, death in your finances, death in your mental health, death in your family. There's different types of death. Manifestations of the curse is another way to put it. If you sow sin, and you nurture that sin, and you water that sin, and you cultivate that sin, eventually death will show up. James talks about it. And that's also in the New Testament. And so judgment, which is just another word for harvest, eventually comes. God was looking for someone to stand in the gap and intercede for the people. Intercession is a type of prayer. Intercession is standing in the gap for a person or persons and the judgment they have brought to themselves because of their decisions. Kenneth Hagin said it this way, intercession is prayer to hold back judgment. That although that person deserves the consequences of their actions, if someone would stand up and pray, God, hold back the judgment. Do you know what God would do? He would hold back the judgment. There are spiritual laws in the earth, and one of the laws is seed time and harvest, and that works in every arena of life. It's part of the laws of sin and death. But if that's coming towards someone, if an intercessor stands up and says, God, I ask that you hold back the judgment they deserve, God holds it back. Do we see that in Scripture? Moses. Now, when you look at Moses and God's relationship, you read the law, you understand this is a conversation going back between God and Moses. There were times when Moses was ticked off at the people. And there was time when God was ticked off at the people. It was a bad situation when God and the pastor both ticked off at the people. Because one day God said, I'm done. Moses, I'm going to start over again with just you. I'll build a better nation out of you. And there's times Moses was talking to God, like, my people, did I give birth to them? These are your people. These are the type of conversations God and Moses were having back and forth. And so one of these times, Moses talking to God says, look, this is not going to work out. I ask that you forgive them. And you know what God did? He forgave them. Because although Moses was irritated with the people for their stupidity, and God was irritated with the people because one person said, forgive them. That's what God did. Didn't we see that with Abraham? Judgment was coming to Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham got, he says, God, well, what if there's 50 righteous people? And he says, I won't destroy it. Well, what if there's 40, 30, 20, 10? He thought there were 10 righteous people and the metro areas of the twin cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. So that's the big cities and the small cities. He figured there has to be 10. 
Because like my nephew's one, so I can, that's one lot, that's one of them. There's got to be nine other people. Maybe it could be his family. There's ten people in the two metro areas. And God said, I won't because you asked and because there's ten. And that's why I know this nation can't be destroyed. We be here. Well, the nation's going down, not while I'm here. Now look, if we all disappeared, that is the time to be concerned. If you're watching a broadcast one Sunday and all of a sudden we all disappeared, that is the time to be concerned. But an intercessor stood up and prayed, and God said, judgment won't come to Sodom and Gomorrah. But there wasn't ten. But you know what God did? Because there was at least one righteous person, Lot. The scripture says he was righteous. Didn't say much about his wife or his kids or everybody else or his in-laws. But do you know what God did? He sent angels to get him out before judgment could fall. He knows how to rescue the righteous. That's what Peter says. But part of that is because an intercessor prayed. How many of us are alive today and in the house of God today because great-grandma knew how to pray? intercessor preserved our lives, preserved her generational lives. Because someone there to stand up and says, God, forgive them. God, hold back the judgment. Yeah, they deserve it. But I ask that you give them more time. That's what intercessors do. When you're praying, you're standing in the gap, you're asking for more time. You're asking for mercy. You use your authority and you command the darkness over their eyes to leave. You pray according to the word for them. You pray that God sends the right labor across their path to minister to them the way they can receive it. This is how you intercede for people. And then you take time and you pray in the Holy Ghost for them. Because there's so much you don't know in the natural, but you can kick into what you need to know by praying in the Spirit. And guess what happens? When you pray that way consistently, it gives people time to make a decision. There's a lot of people, stuff hasn't caught up with them because somebody prayed. Because you know, some of us have looked at, you know, different people, maybe in the news or in celebrities, like how did all the stuff they smoked, drank, shot up, all the people they slept with, all the stuff they did, how are they still walking around like nothing happened? Somebody prayed. And how many of you have seen their testimonies like, oh my gosh, I just happened to make it to church and Jesus changed everything. Somebody's been praying for a long time. The scripture tells us to pray for those who are in authority and have influence. So no matter if you like their music or not, or you believe what they stand for or not, you should be praying for the musicians and the artists and the rappers and the singers and the entertainers and the actors. You should pray for the producers and the directors because God still has a plan for their life. Somebody has to pray for them. You know what I found with some of them? They're just backslidden believers. They were in church and they left for different reasons or not. But somebody has to pray them back home. It takes a praying church to do that. God is looking for intercessors. People who will stand in the gap and pray. They give people more time to make a decision for Jesus. We have to be intercessors. 
So in other words, he's looking for people who have a prayer life that's not just about them. You should pray for you and your family. That's good. But he's looking for people who dare to take time and pray for somebody else. To pray for a nation they may never go to. To see stuff on the news and say, oh, that's too bad, but actually pray about it. For those, you may have no connection to what's going on in Iran right now, but you would still take time to pray. God is looking for intercessors. Say, God is looking for intercessors. Now, one of the things we should pray is for God to send labors across their path. Now, one of the things is we're praying for that, but we should also be willing to be a laborer. Because what happens if you become a laborer? You become an answer to prayer because somebody's praying for them. So whether it's just encouraging someone, like we talked about Barnabas last week, is inviting someone to church, like Barnabas went and got someone, or is to become part of one of these outreaches that we're doing. You're an answer to prayer. And you being a laborer is a seed for the harvest that you're praying for in someone else's life. One of the reasons why we do time, special times of prayer multiple times through the year, we have another one coming up, 21 days of prayer, from November 1st to November 21st. Why do we do that? Why am I always calling you to prayer? Because God is looking for praying people. He's looking for faith people. And he's looking for praying people. Those who don't just use their faith for themselves and pray for themselves, that's not bad. You should do that. But those who can use their faith and pray for others. That's what God is looking for. And he said, well, you know, I'm not skilled in prayer. Well, do you know how you become skilled in prayer? You start. Just start and keep going. You know, I remember uh, a good friend of mine, Marcus Tankard, he came here a couple years ago to share. We did a prayer meeting together. And before he came here, he was on the phone with Lynn Hammond, who's just a woman full of faith, the Holy Ghost, a general on the topic of prayer. And she asked him, where are you going? He said, oh, I'm headed to Faith Christian Center. And he said, ah, I know that church. They know how to do business with God. And so we have to make sure we're doing the business with God he wants us to do. We can't let go of that place in the spirit. And it's not just our prayer meetings when we come together and pray. We're praying before church on Sundays. or praying during our Wednesday prayer call. or praying online first Saturday of the month. It's those, but also us daily taking our place in prayer. Changes everything. A praying church will change a region. I remember years ago, Bishop was preaching. He said, I can tell if a church was praying during the week by what happens in that service or that experience. And sometimes what you're praying during that week is not even about that Sunday. It could be about a Sunday a year or two from now. But a praying church sets the atmosphere for God to do supernatural things. Because remember, he wants to show up strong on behalf of those who have these qualities he's looking for. Those in that covenant friendship with him. He's looking for faith, and he's looking for those who pray for others. Go with me to John chapter 4. Let's look at one more thing we know he's looking for. Because I want to be who God is looking for. John chapter 4. I remember years ago, I was still in ministry school. And I would take time during the night, and that would be just my time to pray. Not for any specific thing, but just pray in the Spirit. And so I remember I was in my room just walking back and forth, praying in the Spirit. And that night, all of a sudden, I saw myself walking over the continent of Africa. 
And I saw myself in the spirit doing different things, but I remember one thing I had in my hand was dropping wheat kernels into the ground. I kind of forgot about that. Until one of the years I was preaching at the conference in Zimbabwe. And I'm on the pulpit preaching, and I see on the ground a wheat kernel from my dream. I was praying about something when I was 19 that I didn't see till I was 30 or 31. But what happened? I was interceding for nations. I didn't even know I was going to yet. Eventually later, the Lord told me after a convention, he said, I want, he told me a list of nations he was going to have me do work in. And the first one was Zimbabwe. I said, well, that's interesting. I know nobody in Zimbabwe. But now we've been there three different times. And every time we go there, something happens that affects the nation, not just the region. We came one year and said, you know, it's going to rain. It was a drought for 30 years. And she's a witness. What happened after that? It rained. We came one year, and the Lord talked to us about the election. Didn't look like it was going to change. A couple months later, it changed. See, you become an intercessor God where you usually do some tremendous things. You just got to give your time and pray and enter into prayer. And love and care about people you may never meet. I didn't know I was going to meet and know so many wonderful people in Zimbabwe. Didn't know that was coming down the path yet. But I knew how to take time and pray in the Holy Ghost. Can you take some time and pray in the Holy Ghost during the week? Get before God, not having an agenda in prayer. Say, God, I'm here to yield my spirit to you. I'm going to pray in the Holy Ghost. Use it however you see fit. Well, I only got five minutes. Well, five minutes is better than zero. John chapter 4. He's looking for faith. He's looking for intercessors. And this is what we're going to do with faith. We're, it's one of the reasons why we teach on faith, because God's looking for faith. It's one of the reasons why we have an emphasis on prayer, because he's looking for praying people. And John chapter 4, notice what Jesus tells this woman here at the well. John 4 verse 23, but the hour is coming and now is. Say, it's right now. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Now, yes, God does enjoy when you worship him, but you need to worship him. More than he, you think, more than he needs you to worship him. Because people think, oh, God just needs me to worship him. He enjoys when you worship him, but you need to worship him. Get the picture of heaven. There are billions of people and creatures in heaven right now worshiping. So it's not just like a handful. You say, well, why do you say people and creatures? Because there are people. There's several levels of angelic beings and creatures. And there's other things in heaven that worship God. Tons of stuff in heaven that we have no idea about. Because heaven's not like this small city. When you read the book of Revelation, it describes the New Jerusalem. That is the capital city of heaven. And the capital city alone, if you look at the dimensions, covers all of North America. One city covers this continent. But the scripture didn't say that was all of heaven. That just says that's the city of New Jerusalem. There's much more in heaven. There's already billions of people there and billions more to come. And so when you get to heaven, one of the things that stands out for people who've been there and come back is the music, is the worship. 
When the prophet Isaiah said, saw them, we saw angels going around the throne singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. When John got there, he heard them singing, worthy is the Lamb. It's the worship. Out of all the things, they describe God and how amazing he looks, but what grabs their attention is the worship. And you got to think, people have been there a long time, and they're still worshiping. Maybe they've seen something about God we haven't seen yet. That calls them says, I don't mind worshiping for eons. Yes, God inhabits your praises. Yes, he's looking for people to worship him. But I'm telling you, you are the one who really needs to worship him. Because what happens if you stop praising to worship him? Jesus said the rocks will cry out. Somebody's going to praise God. So do you want the rock to get the blessing or do you want to get the blessing? Because when you think about what's going on in your life, what would change if the presence of God just filled that place? Because remember when they got one accord and worshiped in the Old Testament, the glory came in. What would happen if you'd be a worshiper throughout the week and on Sunday? Well, pastor, I can't sing. He didn't say you could sing, had to sing. Well, he may be the only one who likes the way you sing. But he still enjoys hearing you sing. Just make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all you lands. It really may be a joyful noise, but God enjoys that noise. And guess what? That noise will transform you. Because if you're always praising and worshiping God, it's going to be hard for you to worry. It's going to be hard for you to be anxious. It's going to be hard for you to be ungrateful. Because what happens when something shows up and it's not what you want to show up, it's a challenge. You'll think about all the stuff that hasn't worked out for you. And you'll focus on that. But when you decide to praise God throughout the week and be like what Ephesians 5 says, be filled with the Spirit, singing to yourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to the Lord. When you do that throughout the week, it shifts your focus. It shifts your mentality. It shifts your attitude. It shifts your expectation. I heard a man of God said this recently. He says, some doors are only open through worship. Some of us have been praying, trying to pray some doors open, but there's some doors in the spirit that are only open as you worship. Because what happens, because some people are afraid of worship, because when he prays, there's a lot that goes with praise. With praise, there comes clapping and dancing, a whole lot of things. And it's easy to praise. It's really easy to get in on and enjoy it. But when you transition into worship, it gets intimate. And here's what happens to people after they spend time praising and they get into worship. Especially when you praise in an atmosphere, then the spirit of worship comes in. It gets really intimate, real fast. And what happens to people's mind is, oh my gosh, I made this mistake this week. Oh my gosh, I, I'm unworthy. I did this, I did this. You remember all your faults. You remember all your shortcomings. And those things are coming up trying to prevent you from going forward. So here's how you respond to it while you worship. I thank you for the blood. Thank you for forgiving me. He said, well, I didn't ask him to forgive me yet. Well, in that moment, say, God, forgive me. Wash me with that blood. And then you go forward because you praise until the spirit of worship comes in. And then you worship until the glory comes in. And when that glory comes in, everything changes. 
There's a weightiness to the glory of God. When the glory comes in, it means heavy with everything good. When the glory comes in, miracles comes in. When the glory comes in, healing comes in. When the glory comes in, wisdom comes in. When the glory comes in, God's commerce system comes in. When the glory comes in, all of the goodness of God comes in. So don't let your shortcomings keep you from that glory. Yes, we've all fallen short. Yes, we've all done stupid things. Yes, we've all sinned. Yes, there's iniquity so many places. But instead of getting caught up in your shortcomings, get caught up in the blood. Get caught up in forgiveness. Get caught up and say, God, I missed it, but I ask that you forgive me. God, I missed it, but I ask that you cleanse me with your blood. You don't cry out any longer, I'm unworthy. The blood has made you worthy. So you stand before God, you kneel before God, you worship him, not based on your own performance, but because Jesus did everything right, I can boldly come to the throne of grace and I can bow down and worship and know I'm loved by the God who's receiving my worship. He's not seen my sins. He's not seeing my iniquity. He sees the blood of Jesus. He sees the perfection of Jesus. So that's what we do. He's looking for people who are going to worship him that way. He says, in spirit and in truth, because the truth of the matter is you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are not an old sinner saved by grace. You are not unworthy. You are worthy because the blood was spent on you. So that's how you come into the presence of God. And you carry that presence throughout the week by keeping those songs in your hearts, by singing, by thanking him, by making up your own songs because you're just so grateful to him. When you live that way with that type of faith, that type of prayer life, that type of worship life, you'll experience situation after situation where God shows up strong on your behalf. Where everything changes because God showed up. You wouldn't even think he could show up that way, but he did. You knew he was going to do something, but you didn't know it was going to be that wonderful, that big, that glorious. He's looking for faith. He's looking for intercessors. He's looking for worshipers. And we need to be who he's looking for. Amen. I believe today's message encourage you, it strengthens you, it's helping you to live the lifestyle of faith. If you're ever in the Metro Atlanta area, we'd love for you to worship with us in person. You can find information about our different locations at fccga.com. Also, we have so many different ways where you can get the word. You can download our Faith Plus app. You could also visit us on our social media pages, on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, on YouTube. We'd love for you to connect with us. We also have a podcast on Apple Podcasts as well as on Spotify. We have two. One is called the Faith Podcast, and then we have our daily devotional podcast, which is called Faith in the Morning. I look forward to seeing you on our many different social media platforms and in person at Faith Christian Center. Thank you so much for tuning in. And remember, something good is going to happen to you today, so expect miracles. God bless.